right, sorry for the late start. Glad everybody's here. How's everybody doing today? Good? Awesome. Tanya's here. I really appreciate that. This is good stuff. Come on, man. <clears throat> so, last week, didn't Midge show up here? Yeah, Midge worked at Brighton Hospital for like, I don't know, 12 years. She only has 30 years sober. <laughs> so, did she do a music group with you guys? And what songs did she cover? There was a list. Yeah? Anything stick out? Soundgarden, a little Goo Goo Dolls. A little bit of everything? Okay. All right. So Midge talks about a whole bunch of different things, but she's really focused on helping people, and she is really good at what she does. Um, did we ever discuss I over E versus E over I? Does that sound familiar? Maybe with defense mechanisms or anything like that? Does that look familiar to anybody, that concept? Try to figure out, you know, when they look at people that are successful in life, right? And they always talk about, you know, the ability to lay gratification is one of the hallmarks of successful people. Do you guys recall the story about the cookie test for kindergartners? Anybody ever hear about this in a psychology class? Very famous test, right? Since the dawn of education, people have been trying to figure out who's going to be the most successful in life, right? Who's going to make the most money? Who's going to have the happiest relationships, right? Who's going to have the best long-term outcomes? And so they began to really focus on just intelligence. They thought, okay, the person who's the smartest in the room should make the most money. The person that's smartest in the room should have the happiest relationship. The person that's smartest in the room, right, should achieve all their educational goals, right? Is that making sense? And so what do you think happened when they began to study really smart people? Not, not always true. There's some dumb people that make a lot of money because they work really hard and they set goals and achieve them, right? There's some smart people that don't make so much money and have miserable relationships. So intelligence wasn't enough to kind of give this thing away. So they began looking at the prefrontal cortex and the ability to lay gratification for long-term benefits. So they came up with this little test. It's very simple. They go into a kindergarten classroom, and they got cameras running. And a teacher walks in with the clipboard, and she says to the students, each one of you guys is going to get a cookie. She goes around and puts a cookie on every single student's desk. And here's the fun part. All you got to do as a kindergartner is not eat that cookie for 15 minutes, and you get 10 more. That's like hitting the lottery for a kindergartner. Right? All you got to do is not eat that cookie for 15 minutes and you get 10 more. That's a good deal. So what do you think happens when the teacher leaves the room? What do you think begins to happen? Anyone want to speculate? Start to eat the cookies. Some of the kids eat the cookies immediately. Some of the kids wait five minutes. Truth be told, some of the kids wait a full 15 minutes and don't eat the cookie. Wow. It's called ability to lay gratification. So fast forward 20 years later. Who has the best educational outcomes? Who's making the most money? Who has the best outcomes for relationships? Imagine that you're a college kid with a really good prefrontal cortex, right? And you got your college girlfriend with you. You tell your college girlfriend, I want to go see the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And your college girlfriend looks at you and you got a really good emotional IQ with a sour face and she's like, eh. and you go, oh, you don't want to see that? And she's like, no, I want to go see the Sandra Bullock movie. And then the college guy with the really good PFC goes, is that really important to you? And she says, yeah. And so he says, well, let's see your movie first and see my movie next weekend. And he wins Boyfriend of the Fucking Year Award, right? Because he delayed gratification for a long-term benefit. So you see where I'm going with this? So let's tie this into this concept of intelligence over emotion and emotion over intelligence. 
okay? People that tend to use their intellect over their emotions tend to be happy, reach their full potential, and don't have as much drama and problems. Is that making sense? Because they allow their emotions to override their intelligence. You put it right there in the doorway, it's fine. You guys can slide down just a little bit for him. Cool, thank you. And people that tend to let their emotions override their intellect tend to be unhappy, unfulfilled, and unable to reach their full potential. Is that making sense? Can I illustrate this in a dramatic fashion? All right. We'll use Pete as an example. All right. So Pete, one time he was on probation, right? And Pete was minding his own business, walking through a restaurant slash lounge, right? As he was walking through the restaurant slash lounge, a biker bumped into him and Pete spilled his drink. And two really cute girls giggled and Pete felt embarrassed. But Pete, using his intellect over his emotions, said, wait a second here, you know? I really shouldn't get too upset. Um, I'm on probation. I shouldn't do anything silly here. This guy could have made a mistake. It's not important to prove a point. I'm going to walk away and have a wonderful life. Keep my freedom, right? Not have a civil lawsuit. Good decision. But in the other world, like, you know, like Superman and there's the other Superman. What's it? Bizarro Superman. So in the other world, there's this other Pete. And he's the opposite of the good Pete. And so he's walking through the same scenario. And the biker bumps into him and Pete spills his drink, right? But this guy operates with his emotions over his intellect. Remember, anger is an intoxicant. Anger can get you really high and make you do really stupid shit. So Pete, intoxicated by anger, says, This guy's not taking me seriously. These two cute girls are laughing at me. I want to stab this guy and make a point. So Pete stabs the guy in the middle of the lounge. The guy drops to the ground. Then Pete goes to court in front of Judge McKenzie, and Judge McKenzie says, Pete, why did you stab the guy in the bar? And Pete says with a straight face, because he made me spill my drink. And Judge McKenzie goes, ten years to figure that shit out. Do you see my point? Please, when you're making decisions, think about the outcomes ten days from now, ten months from now, ten years from now. When you're thinking about the outcomes, don't let that immediate gratification override your intellect. Right? Another way of viewing this is that a lot of people, this doesn't mean that you're a bad person at all, a lot of people do this, they play checkers with their life. They're only thinking one move ahead. They aren't thinking two, three, and four moves ahead. And because of that, they're always in a reactionary way of being. They're always responding to what happens to them instead of making things happen for them. You see the difference? So please, play chess with your life and use your intellect over your emotions and basically think two, three, and four moves ahead. Is that helpful? Any comments or questions? Thanks for allowing me to use you as an example, Pete. All right, we're going to do our first handout. You guys might have seen some of these before, but I promise you the refreshers are still pretty good to see. We're going to talk about understanding life. This is an old Asian parable that I basically retold. Hopefully I have enough copies. Am I short? Maybe some of you guys can share. Can some of you guys share, maybe, please? You should be all right. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we're going to need a volunteer to read Understanding Life. Excellent. That was meant to be. Fortune favors the bold. Who's going to read? Thank you. Many people, who have ex many people who have experienced being arrested, ending up in a treatment center, or discovering that they are addicts feel that what they have gone through is horrible and tragic. 
They often believe that they are unfortunate or, and unlucky. This view is not completely accurate. In fact, it should be considered narrow-minded and... Sophomoric. Unsophisticated, right? All right, please continue. A wise Buddhist man named Mr. Chan lived in ancient China. He was highly respected and considered the most intelligent man in the province. One day, a poor family arranged a small party to celebrate their son's 18th birthday. The family had saved for years and bought him the finest horse in the village. <clears throat> All the villagers cheered and gathered around the young man as he rode his horse through town. Then the villagers noticed that Mr. Chan was not cheering. He looked sullen and was very quiet. A villager asked Mr. Chan, Why are you not cheering and happy? This young man has a beautiful new horse. This is clearly a cause for celebration. Mr. Chan looked up and said, We shall see. Okay. Several days later, the young man was thrown from the horse and severely broke his leg. The villagers gathered at the young man's house and brought food and offered their prayers. Many of the women cried together and were worried he may never walk again. Then they noticed Mr. Chen. He looked un untroubled and was quiet. The villager asked Mr. Chen, Why are you not upset and troubled by what has happened? This young man cannot walk. He is badly injured. This is clearly a very bad thing. Mr. Chen looked up and said, We shall see. That's deep. Several weeks later, the emperor declared war on the Mongol invaders. He had soldiers go into every village to conscript the young men into military service. Families cried as all the healthy young men went off to war. The village lost every young man except the one with the broken leg. He was sparred and stayed home with his family. Within a year, all the men who had left the village had been killed. At the end of the year, the young man with the broken leg was now healed and able to walk. In addition, he became the chief of the village. Impressive. At the ceremony appointing the young man, chief, the villagers looked intently at Mr. Chan. One elderly woman said, the young man has been sparred. What appeared to be a bad thing was actually a good thing. Mr. Chan looked up expressionless and said, we shall see. You guys following the logic in this? How about the text box, please? The truth is you have no idea what an arrest has prevented you from doing or experiencing. You have no idea what types of consequences are being avoided while you are in treatment. Very often, what seems to be bad for you is meant to be good for you. Wisdom allows you to stand back and wait for time to do its job. Please try to be more sophisticated in how you view the trials and tribulations of life. Very often, things do happen for a reason. Wow. You don't know what suffering is being averted by your current hardship. So any thoughts or comments about this? Does it apply to anybody in this room at all in any scenario? Yeah. Want to share? So many. Okay. So many. I definitely have an approach and a paradigm to life that um, is beyond faith. It's probably moved more into certainty. Yeah. Because I've had so many things that have played themselves out and more is always revealed. I like that statement. That's good. Yeah, I will steal it. <laughs> so my mom had a stroke one time, you know, and, and we thought it was the end of the world. And everyone was really freaked out about the stroke that she had. And she went to the emergency room, right? And it's for like, this is an absolutely horrible thing. And as they're treating her for the stroke, they noticed that she has ovarian cancer and needs an operation. Now, the doctors said if they hadn't brought her in there for the stroke, they wouldn't have done the test that revealed this cancer. And she would have probably died within six months. Now, it was a very stressful time in my life and my family's life, but what appeared to be honestly the worst thing possible ended up being a really good thing. That's just one example. My other example that I use is at Eastwood Clinic, and we have a lot of people there that are there for sobriety court, right? So a lot of people that have felony convictions or charges, and they don't want to go to jail or prison. 
right? So they're basically going to go to Eastwood Clinic for 21 days and they go to a sober living facility for six months. And so many of them have their grumpy pants on, right? They don't want to be there. They're upset. You know, they want to be out in the, in the world shooting heroin with their friends. And so one guy came in there with one of the worst attitudes that we've ever seen. You know, leaning back, baseball cap backwards, attitude, this is fucking bullshit. I can think of 10 people that are worse than me. Why am I in this room, right? And, of course, he had some friends on the outside that were hooking up in southwest Detroit. And they got their hands on some black tar heroin. And for those of you that know a little bit about heroin, that's kind of like a special thing for Michigan. You aren't going to see that flying around, right? And so his friend, of course, knowing that his friend is in rehab, calls him on the phone. They're talking. He's like, yeah, you got this black tar hookup with the Latin Kings, man. This shit is incredible. This is really good dope. And so he comes in the group. He's like, man, this is bullshit. I shouldn't be here. I'm thinking about leaving, and I can hang out with my boys, and I'll come back in a week and then get this right. And thinking, that's like a really bad idea. I don't think you should really do that. And so the next day he comes in the group, and I'm looking at this guy, and he's not leaning, he's not swaggering, he's got a notebook in his hand and a pen. And why the fuck's he got a notebook in his hand and a pen? This isn't how he kind of carries himself. And he sits back, and he's getting ready for group. So I'm calling everybody, and then I call on him, and I go, well, how are you doing today? What are your highs and lows throughout the day? He goes, i got to say something really important. He goes, I got a phone call from my friend's mother this morning that the message up at the, at the front desk with the secretary. And I go, what did the message say? He goes, my friend that had the black tar heroin, he died last night. And he goes, and that would have been me because my tolerance has changed. They've detoxed me, and I would have left Eastwood last night. I would have been shooting with him, and I would have been dead. And so the mom was on the phone and, and told, at least you better get sober because my son couldn't get it. That's profound, right? So we don't know why these bad things happen. And truth be told, I don't know why it is that bad things happen to good people. I mean, I hear about it all the time. But it's the trials and tribulations in our lives that make us, right? I wish that we could all be born in perfect families, never have anything bad happen to us, never face a physical, mental, or spiritual struggle. Then we'd all develop great maturity, wisdom, insight, and become very spiritual. It doesn't work that way. If you look at anybody that's ever became anything, it's remarkable what they went through, how they persevered, how they found a support system and got to the other side and became better from those circumstances and those conditions. For example, if you go to a West Bloomfield garden and you see a rose that's been very well tended to, right? And the rose has a gardener and the gardener gives that rose the best fertilizer and bug spray, right? And treatment and water and it's cared for every single day. And everyone gathers around this beautiful, flawless rose and says, wow, that rose is beautiful. That rose is incredible. And I say, it's supposed to fucking be like that because it had every privilege and opportunity. Why shouldn't it be beautiful and perfect and flawless? But what I find really remarkable is when you look somewhere like in the ghetto and you see a rose that's asymmetrical and not so pretty and a little bit wilted, but it broke through the concrete. And you say to yourself, how the fuck did that rose break through the concrete with everything going against it, right? That's deep, isn't it? And so begin to understand that, you know, some of us have been through a lot. And if people knew the distance traveled from where we were and who we used to be to who we are today, that's a long distance travel. Is that making sense? Is that helpful to understand? 
So we're going to go around, introduce ourselves. If you have a drug of choice, please say what it is. If you have some clean time, please mention that for sure. Uh, definitely mention a highlight from the past week. And Neelish, you're pretty familiar with the format, so you want to start us off? Uh, as Raj just mentioned, my name is Neelish. Uh, drug of choice is alcohol. I've uh, been sober here now 13 months. No way. You get tagged for that or something? <laughs> I'm just curious. Maybe a Savorsky crystal tag? I don't know. Something like what are they giving out around here? <laughs> Bills. <laughs> um, highs for the week are, uh, I got a side project that's been kind of stalled at the moment, but uh, things have been picking up pretty quickly. So I, You want to talk about the side project? Now that you mentioned it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting ready to build uh, Michigan's first uh, shipping container house. Isn't that uh, cool? A lot of recycled uh, shipping containers. And With GM? Uh, no, it's actually in uh, Royal Oak, Michigan. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, it's it's been a year and a half, I think, in yeah. the, in the making, and uh, it's finally down, and uh, it's been going pretty slow, but now things are starting to pick up. So I'm really excited about that. Isn't it fantastic? Yeah. Yep. My uh, God, my husband researches those online all the time. Yeah. He wants to build one. You Help should give come, him his uh, phone number and check it out. Yeah. yeah. In, so Rochester oh, yeah, what is it again? Uh, it's a shipping container house. It's a shipping container house. Uh, you know those big cargo containers that all of our stuff comes in? Yeah, they're like standardized. China they're always the same size, same so shape. it's pretty productive and beneficial. Yeah, because like, um, so we don't export a lot of goods as a country, so they just sit in our yards and just rust away. And they all come like from that. China. So uh, I figured, you know, why not do something beneficial with them? Yeah. Make the world a better place yeah, and exactly. recycling and, and giving some place of people a safe place to live. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, that's awesome, man. That's Good for high. you. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah. Pete, how about you, sir? I'm Pete. Alcohol, six months. Fantastic, Pete. Well done. <laughs> Give us a highlight, man. It's been a pretty quiet <coughs> week. Hours have been picking up at work, so it's been pretty good. Some more money. All right. Good. Glad you're here. Honored guest? My name's Danielle. I have eight years. Eight um, years. Well done. Um, my drug of choice was heroin, and my highlights for the last week, uh, I had my anniversary. Good. Good for you. Um, my daughter's birthday. We went to a Great Wolf Lodge, and, and both my little girls had a blast. So. That's great. That's very, very cool. So, Daniel, tell us how you've turned things around. Like, if you talk about, like, distance traveled, you have a master's degree, you're a gifted therapist. If someone was to tell you eight years ago that you would accomplish all those things, would you have been a little, little bit doubtful? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, at that time, over the years, people have always said to me that it's so awesome, you should keep fighting for that. Mm -hmm. And I always say, oh, I'm not fighting. Mm -hmm. No. I put my boxing gloves down a long time ago. I got my ass whipped. And mm -hmm. I knew that uh, the only thing I had to do was surrender. So, you know, interestingly enough, I gained a lot of power through that. Yeah. So I have this ability to make decisions now every day about who I want to hang out with, how I want to spend my money. Mm -hmm. um, but... I would not ever have, you know, expected that I would have accomplished so much. But yeah. one day at a time, showing up for your life, that's just what happens. Exactly. Yeah, and fortune favors the bold too, right? 
Yeah. Just keep pushing forward, even when it's an uncomfortable day. There's that theory, if you only walk on sunny days, you never reach your destination. So it's walking on those rainy days. It's walking on those days that you don't feel like moving forward. Those are the most important ones. When you said, you know, is there a time that you can, you know, remember or identify with that, you know, you thought something bad was going to happen and it ended up being, you know, fortunate or good for you? Mm-hmm. When hard times come upon me now, I get a little excited. Really? Yes, because I have so much certainty that whatever is happening to me is pushing me forward to my fullest potential. Right. That I know that I have to face my fears and I have to deal with whatever's at hand. It's a very good perspective. I can see that. Yeah, and every day I ask for fearlessness for love in my heart and for acceptance that I'll know peace. That's fantastic. Fearlessness is probably the most important. <laughs> it's a form of being bold, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, false evidence appearing real is that famous acronym for fear. Spirituality is for people that have been to hell and don't want to go back. And so religion is for people that don't want to go to hell. They're more scared. A lot of us have been through a lot, and so fearlessness will serve you really well. So glad you're here. Darius, how about you, sir? My name is Darius. Um, I've been off screen for seven months from Benzos. Fantastic. Hope. Well done, man. Give us a highlight in the past week, man. Something positive that's happened for you. Oh, we bought a house. Nice. Good for you, man. Congratulations. Well done. That's a good thing. All right. Glad you're here. Thanks. How about you, sir? Uh, I'm still on my drug of choice is uh, opiates and marijuana. Okay. I have almost 90 days of opiates. Good. That's an accomplishment. Get uh, applause for that. And about two months of marijuana. Good. Well done. And uh, this week I've just been helping my father out. Okay. Um, I have to take him into surgery tomorrow at 6 in the morning um, for kidney stone. Mm -hmm. He's been having a lot of problems with those. And, uh, yeah, I have court on Thursday. Okay. And I may go to jail. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I guess I've, I've accepted it, but uh, I don't think I'll, I'll do a long time in jail. All right. What concerns you about your drug usage? If you were to talk about to yourself, like, what are the concerns about going back to using again? What would happen? Um, then I'd spend a lot more time in jail. Okay. This is just for a probation violation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm wishing for the best. How, yeah. long, how long do you think you're going to do it? Uh, anywhere from five days to Yeah. I've already done 45 days and then... Is the case closed afterwards then? Uh, I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't really want to talk too much about the That's case. fine. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's talk about what one year sober would feel like for you. Walking up and getting your one year sober tag. What would that feel like? Describe that to me. Feel great. Yeah. Almost feel like you're high, right? I mean, imagine if a person has set a goal for one year to not use any minor mood-altering drug, including alcohol, and they achieve that goal, and everybody that was around them recognized the fact that that's really hard to do. 
right? Yeah. And you get that one-year tag in your hand. That's substantial. And I want you to experience that feeling. That's why I'm telling you about it. Because <laughs> I know what it feels like. Danielle knows what it feels like. And Neelish knows what it feels like. And pretty soon Pete's going to know what it feels like. And other people told us what it was going to feel like. If you can envision it, you can achieve it. And you got to put it into your mind's eye. I want to know what it feels like to be one year sober. I want to know what it feels like to not be on probation. And you have a right to have all those good feelings. Right now you're in a difficult transitional phase. And by the very definition of a transitional phase, they're frustrating and they're exhausting and they're fatiguing and they're very challenging. But once you get to the other side of your transitional phase, you're going to experience a whole different type of life and a whole different type of attitude, wisdom, insight, and confidence. So please hang in there. I'm very proud of you for being here today. Thanks. You got it, man. How about you, honored guest? Um, I am six months clean of opiates. Good. That's an accomplishment. You get applause for that. Working on other addictions. Sure. And I'm not a real active okay. with other things. Just, there's just a lot of other addictions I am working with. Sure. And the exciting thing this week is that I'm closer and closer mm -hmm. to getting away from those addictions and feeling more comfortable Good. being away from those other addictions. Right. And it, it, it's exciting to take the path that I'm taking. Yeah. Um, That's great. Getting further away from that closer to God, and so that's, it's, every day is exciting. Yeah, that's really good. Not just a week. But yeah. Everybody recovers differently, right? And so mm -hmm. some people put everything down right away, and some people put the really bad stuff down first, and then work on the other stuff later. As long as you're making forward progress, that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. But overall, you're making that forward progress. All right. Glad you're Praise here. Praise God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. How about you? Fantastic. Yeah. Off the bad stuff. We're moving in the right direction, right? <coughs> so, Eddie, same question. What concerns you about your drug usage? Um, just being off of the crystal for two weeks, mm -hmm. two and a half weeks, I realized how much I was in, like, what I would call, like, a beer-shaped box. Ah. I didn't do anything. Right. And, you know, I was in California for the last four years. The last six months specifically, I couldn't even, like, accomplish one little thing. And just, I slept for the first week, but the, but just in the past You needed week, to. You needed to heal. Holy shit. I never slept that much in my life. Yeah. <laughs> but um, just in this past week, it's like I've already accomplished, like, more than I have in, like, the last six months. So what are your thoughts on that? I don't want to go back there. Thank you. But at the same time, getting too much stuff, and, and not stuff, but making too much progress because I've had time and, and destroyed it mm -hmm. scares the hell out of me. So my big question is, what's going to be different this time, Addie? I don't know. Make it right now. What's going to be different this time? i got to figure out what's underneath all the shit that I didn't get to before. you got to do something differently. It can be anything. It can be asking God to remove the desire to get high for the rest of your life to, for it to be gone. It could be basically working on a four-step at a new level you've never gone to before. You know? 
It could be finding new prayers and new ways of being. But just find something that you can you identify. Have experience. Yeah. I know that I have to have new experience. Right. Because of all of the, you know, the first and the tenth and the thirtieth one mm -hmm. worked in the way they were supposed to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And this one is definitely new. Yeah. But you're a survivor and you've been through a lot. But this can be the, the best of it all. This can be the, the last time you ever have to deal with this demon ever again. Maybe. No, it won't be if you want it to be. Yeah, no, the confidence needs to be there. Remember, we can't, we can't, the one thing about addiction, we can't play that, well, I'm not sure about it, right? This is about being a heavyweight boxer and walking into the ring, right? You're not allowed to have doubts, right? If you interview a guy before he gets into a fight, if you impage Rampage Jackson before he goes into a cage, does Rampage say, well, you know, ah, shucks here, that guy can hit pretty hard, and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. But I, had, I didn't have doubts last time. Uh-huh, but you still deserve that confidence, True, yeah. it's not that it's not there, it's yeah. just not really... Right. right Cautiously optimistic is always a cool place to be. Yeah, find something that you can identify as what's going to be different this time, that's going to be yours. That's going to be symbolic. Cool, I'm glad you're here. Honored guest. First name, though. Thank you for being here, Xavier. How about you, honored guest? Fantastic, Tanya. Well done. So tell us, what concerns you about Tanya's drug usage? had your clean time, what was different about your life at that point? I was on track, like I had good days, it was nice, and I had a good goal. What are the odds of Tanya being arrested if she's not smoking weed or drinking? Um, How about zero? Yeah, zero. Alright, so... How much do you like being arrested? So then make that actionable. It seems to me that marijuana has been holding you back from reaching your full potential. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people that are maybe still thinking about smoking weed or, you know, smoking weed at a younger age? You know, you're a college student and you can kind of give us some feedback as to, you know, if you think it's a bad idea why people shouldn't smoke pot while they're in high school. If you go into a time machine and go back and meet Tanya at 16, what would your advice be for that lady? What would you say to her? Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Because you're wiser. Yeah. Yeah. Be your own best friend. You got a lot of good advice. You have a good wisdom level in your heart. So just listen to your heart. Glad you're here. I can't tell you how happy I'm to see you. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Is weed upper or downer? 
Weed is more of a downer. Yeah. I work with a guy for 15 years. He smoked just weed. Yeah. When he smoked, he's flying yeah. like airplane. Yeah. Everyone's different. Some people like... <laughs> yeah. It could be a, it's a form of an allergy reaction. Some people, when they do Adderall, get all hyped up. Or he'll do Adderall and they get, they get quiet and they just kind of sit in the oh, corner. Okay. Everyone responds differently. But in general, it's a nervous system depressant. Alcohol yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It pushes down your nervous system like a spring, right? Good question. Thanks. Yeah, glad you're here. How about you, sir? I'm Nico. Okay. Um, my drug of choice, I, I couldn't really put like, my finger on it, you know. It's more of not being able to moderate whatever I am doing. Okay. So if I was to fill a table full of every drug in the world and say you got to grab one really fast and use it with no consequences, what would you do? They're all on the table. What would you grab? <coughs> I, I don't know, just alcohol. Okay. So alcohol's got a little bit drug of choice thing going for you, right? Yeah, but yeah, I guess it would be alcohol. Alright. So what concerns you about your drinking? <coughs> um, well uh, like I said, it's not even drinking because I would it's really just how much like attention I put toward it because then it's like when I'm on probation I can't drink or I can't smoke pot I okay. put all my everything I have into um, you know like working out coffee I drink a shit ton of coffee and okay. cigarettes girls right. it's like I have to but like, coffee won't get you locked up right working out won't get you locked up right that's what I'm saying yeah. but the thing is is like everyone needs an addiction whether it's beneficial or, or an not. obsession yeah an obsession because yeah. I just am impulsive I need something like because then when I'm alone, I'm like, if I'm feeling weird, I'll just okay. be like, oh, I'll just text this person and get it all out. But like, whether it's that, working out, sex, drinking, acid, Adderall, you know what okay. I mean? Right. It's, it's just, I'm addicted to being addicted, but I think everyone is, just you have to learn how to moderate it. Yeah, everyone's different. Some people are more vulnerable to it than others, though. Mm -hmm. um, could you do 10 more years of this? Oh. Are they using the way you've been doing? Well, I haven't really been using because I've been on probation for a while. Okay. But, um... As long as you've been sober for you got to tell us that. Uh, <coughs> since I got my MIP, which was um, like spring break. All right, congrats. Well done. So just one, I, one MIP charge is all you got on your record? No, I had, um, when I was 15, I got possession of marijuana. and then How I, much you possess? Oh, I only had like um, the grammar. Yeah, so you're not <coughs> Scarface, that was self-use, right? Right. Okay. And then I got um, an MIP that violated that, and then I got off of that probation and then I did the same thing with POMMIP right. and then I violated that POMMIP probation or well in college I just got a, a POM up of college came home for spring break and then I got an MIP before I went back to school right so what is it about when you drink alcohol that draws the attention of the police to you I'm trying to figure this out because oh, a lot of people drink what is it about you being a magnet to the police uh, that's the thing I don't know I'm, last time I was playing guitar at my friend's house for being too loud Really what it is, I usually will run away because I'm a pussy. Yeah, pussy, you're running away, you want to go to jail, right? Right, but yeah. the thing is, is no one else got an MIP because they didn't run. So if I would have stayed there... Right, so why do you choose to run? <laughs> because I'm afraid to man up, I guess. I don't know if that's the that's case. A, you know, you're not a bitch because you run from the cops, so might as well run, right? Like, that's what I was thinking. And then, But you got to run faster then. Yeah. Maybe the issue is you don't run fast enough. Well, no, my wallet thought in my pocket, which is what happened. That's unprofessional, <laughs> man.
Listen, here's my humble suggestion. If you're going to use drugs, you got to be on your A-game, okay? you got to have your shit together and your shit tight. You can't be having loose wallets on you. You can't have skinny jeans, right? you got to be dressed in a tracksuit, ready to roll, right? With at least three false IDs and a really good story prepared, right? That's how you got to do it. And if you're not going to do it that way, honestly, leave it alone. Not willing to devote 110% to the operation of breaking the law and being undercover, don't do it. There's something about when you drink alcohol, like an allergy reaction, it draws the attention of the police. Like I asked Tanya, what are the odds of you being arrested if you're not drinking? Well, then, if you don't want to be arrested, what should you do? Right. No, I mean, it sounds like common sense, but I'm just making a point. No, I'm not. How old are you right now? 18. Okay, so all you got to do is not drink alcohol until 21, and you can have a wonderful life. Never. Does alcohol make you like... I over E, E over I. Um. Did they arrest you for an MIP now? Yeah. Minor position. You can't go to jail. They arrest you for what? Your parents? You can go to jail for violations. Fascinating. Try getting an MIP in Detroit. It was a different era. Good question. So in this modern era, they like to arrest people and give them MIPs and put them in the criminal justice system, right? In the old days, when you got caught with a little bit of weed, or you got caught with a beer, they take you home and they have your mom yell at you. You say, I'm never going to do it again. You write an apology letter, and it's done. Nowadays in America, everything is criminalized. Everything involves lawyers and the court system. Yeah, we have SWAT teams knocking down doors for nonviolent arrests. It's a really weird country that we live in. America is fascinated with the ideology of punishment. So somehow, magically, this young man needs to constantly be arrested because at some point he's supposed to have an epiphany and go, oh my God, alcohol's not my friend. I shouldn't drink anymore, right? Mm -hmm. How come you haven't had that epiphany? Well, see, then too, I have to go to all these uh, treatments and AA meetings and stuff, you know? Uh -huh. And like, and, um, it's just frustrating to me because... I, I value everything I'm learning when I'm around okay. people telling me all these stories. It's pretty cool, but I can't really relate to them. And when I say that, I just sound like an asshole. I can't no, you're not like, an asshole. You sound like you're being honest. Right, that's what they say. They're like, thank you so much for being honest. But right. every time, I'm just, I can't just be like, hi, I'm Nico. I'm not an alcoholic, and I'm here right. because I'm on probation. And can you sign the sheet? I, right. So I usually will just tell them what I said earlier, how I'm, like, how the moderation thing, you know, okay. I'm addicted to being addicted to things, but I don't necessarily think I'm an alcoholic. I think that I've been told that for so long, eventually uh -huh. I'm supposed to be like, okay, maybe I do have a problem, but, you know, right now is a time in my life when I don't even know who I am, and I don't think anyone my age knows who they are, and I'm trying to figure that out at the same time as people for the past five years telling me who I am and what I'm, right. my problem is, but it's, it's hard, it's just so much to deal with. It is. So what does alcoholic mean? Anybody have a definition for this? Define, how would you define an alcoholic? Give me a definition for that word. It's not a medical term. You guys know there's no medical term. Alcoholic is a social term. You can have alcohol abuse disorder. You can have alcohol <coughs> dependency disorder. But you can't be alcoholic in a piece of paper that's going to the court that says he's an alcoholic. It's a social term. For some people, alcoholic means I got two DUIs. For other people, alcoholic means that when I drink, other people complain about my drinking and how fast I drink. For other people, they can say I'm an alcoholic because when I drink, I make my girlfriend really angry and uncomfortable. Other people I used to hang out with in college, when they drank alcohol, always got into a fist fight. Other friends drank alcohol the same amount, never got into a fist fight. It's like an allergy reaction, 
right? So a better way of looking at drinking and alcoholism and addiction, by the way, the only requirement to go to AA is a desire to stop drinking, mm -hmm. not to be an alcoholic. So you have a desire to stop drinking because you're on probation, <coughs> that's a good fit for you. So think about it this way. Is drinking alcohol right now making my life better, A, or is drinking alcohol right now making my life worse, B? And you make your decision accordingly and do it every six months. That's reasonable, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't drink and don't use drugs, not because they've destroyed their lives and are addicts and alcoholics or they're on probation, but because life's very competitive. If you're trying to be the best that you can be at school, be the best boyfriend you can be, be the fastest person on the treadmill that you can be, be whatever it is you're trying to be to reach your full potential, you don't want to be chemically restrained by chemicals and not reaching your full potential. So a lot of people don't abuse drugs and alcohol because they want to be a really good parent. Other people don't do it because they want to be really fit. There's a whole bunch of reasons not to use drugs and alcohol. It doesn't require you to destroy your life to make that kind of you know, decision. Is that making sense? Yeah. So just think about these things. I'm glad that you're here, man. Nice. Okay. Hey, Rush. Yes. One question. You said if you want to... No drugs, so there gotta be a new A game. And <laughs> Don't quote me on that, man. Did I say that out loud? No, I didn't say that out loud. That's the bad part of me. How the hell are you supposed to do that if you're high? Are you driving around? Do I get high and nervous and shit? I think what he was saying is that if you're not even good at being an addict and alcoholic, why don't you just stop trying? Well, you cannot be good at being an addict. Right. Yeah. Just right. not to be so, so watch this. So, well, so. you don't have a problem, and you're not good at it. <laughs> right, 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 right. I had a friend, Steve, that was an addict, and he was a bodybuilder, and he was a really dangerous individual, right? And so Steve, no matter what he did, he never got in trouble. For example, one time Steve had four ounces of Coke on him, and he parked his car in a non-parking zone in Troy. And the Troy cop says you can't park there. And I'm with Steve, and Steve goes, fuck you. Take off your badge, and I'll break your jaw. I'm like, dude, you got four ounces on you. What the fuck is I'm thinking, like, I'm fucking dying here. And for some reason, he was able to make that cop be scared. And all along the way, he never got busted. And all along the way, he never got busted, right? Made a fortune selling drugs. And then one day, I hear Steve kills himself because he destroyed his heart from doing drugs and never got in trouble, never went to rehab and needed a heart transplant. He couldn't deal with that. He shot himself in the head. Life's complicated, right? So when we talk about being on your A game, I think about someone like that that never, ever got caught, that was so focused and so determined and always had every angle covered. And even someone like him didn't cover the one other angle was that your heart's only so strong and nobody's Superman. So that's really, you know, Danielle knows what I'm trying to say. There is no perfect way of doing that. And I met people at Brighton Hospital when I say, the inability to drink successfully is the hallmark of addiction. So this guy who's a lawyer, multimillionaire, walks up to me in Brighton Hospital. He's inpatient and says, Raj, I'm not an alcoholic. And I go, really? He goes, no. He goes, I've never been arrested. My wife never complains about my drinking. I'm very successful. I'm very wealthy. My kids have all gone to college. All my colleagues love me. I've never made any mistakes under the influence. Now, I'm trying to figure this shit out, right, because I'm trying to be, I'm always trying to figure So I go, why are you here? He goes, oh, I need a liver transplant. Like, what the fuck don't you understand about not drinking successfully? Your liver is failing you, right? It's always some angle that you haven't covered. Do you see my point? Okay. All right. It was just Raj's extreme motivational interview. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Glad you're here. How about you? Oh, nice. Rachel, drug of choice was heroin. Been clean for almost four months now. Fantastic. Well done. Thank you. You look good. Thank you. So tell us about Rachel being sober and why this is a good thing. Um, 
stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Better for my baby. Right. <laughs> and um, just it makes me think a lot more just like of how stupid I was back when I was younger and all. Like I used to do a lot of stupid shit. And it was real bad. Pad's <laughs> oh, relative. I mean, how many felonies do you have? I don't have anything. Right, so memory. Bad's relative. No, but you're fortunate in that way. Yeah. Could be a lot worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Rachel, any advice for for people that are thinking about maybe trying heroin just one time? Don't even bother trying to do it just one time. But why? Because that one time could kill you. You never know. Mm -hmm. It could kill you. If it doesn't kill you, you could, like just become addicted to it yeah and just like not want to stop yeah it's a good point yeah. has anyone ever heard somebody say to them well how do you know if you don't like it if you don't try has anyone ever heard that maybe even in third grade right fourth grade fifth grade middle school how do you know that you don't like it unless you try it let's break that philosophy down remember my rule is think about something for four seconds doesn't make any sense one two three four doesn't make any fucking sense let me give you an example i don't need to eat mud until it doesn't fucking taste good some shit is very self-evident. doesn't require any kind of experimentation. So when you tell somebody that you don't want to try heroin even one time, there's a reason for that. Because some things don't require you to play around with them. You can figure it out intuitively. That's a bad idea. Is that making sense? And I'm just camping on what you're saying. Some things don't even need to be tried one time. I don't need to eat mud. No, it doesn't taste good. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Glad you're here. How about you, sir? Um, I'm Nisha. Um, I don't, I have like just today Good, clean. get credit for that Misha I'm glad you're here man How you been recently? Um, ups and downs um, Want to tell us about it? If you feel comfortable you can If not you don't have to remember this is your forum Um, yeah I mean I just gotta find a way to make it short Because there's so much detail No, you just be yourself um, and talk about what you've been going through this past week Just a lot of ups and downs like I said Um, I just went to like Havenwick Hospital Okay And um I was actually on my way to jail, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't want to go to jail again because the food just sucks. It <laughs> hurts my back, my shirt. You know, it just it's not like. <laughs> oh, so you're not you're not built for jail? I didn't know that. So so, wait wait, they don't give you a mattress in jail and, and feed you Jimmy John's? I can't go there either. This is some bullshit. Stefan, you wear this? That the that the beds are uncomfortable and they give shitty food out to people. How the fuck do they do that? All right, so I agree with you. I can't yeah. do that either. Yeah, I'm yeah, very my fragile. Size, I'm, little, I'm sensitive. I don't like that. Is it noisy in there too? It's cold. It's oh, noisy. I don't like. I don't like cold and noisy. Does it smell good in there? Awesome. Oh, so I can't good. go in a place that smells bad. That's I'm too sensitive to that. Yo, so yeah, just, you're on your way to jail. Then how do we deviate from that to the Havenwick? How does that? Um, I told him I took a bunch of course eating. Did you? No, I took eight of them. I usually take ah, like two boxes. Well played. I was on my way to take more, but the cops just. I didn't even see them. They just like were at my door, wow. like, and I was outside, and so I didn't have time to take all of them. Cause I was, I would have taken all of them, but because I didn't have time. Right. But, anyway, but why so, did, we discussed this before? Remember I, my philosophy? Why is taking coracidin a really bad idea? Do you recall we met? We talked about this together. So many reasons. No, but it was the main reason that I don't like it. Because it makes people basically autistic. It takes away their emotional IQ permanently, and they can't pick up on humor. They can't Mm -hmm. maintain eye contact. I have two clients that I tried to work with that had abused coracidin for a long period of time. They appear like autistic children. They can't engage with you emotionally. They can't pick up on your jokes, and they can't maintain eye contact in a conversation. They just drift. 
and it's terrifying. Like, you know, being in a wheelchair, that scares the shit out of me. Becoming autistic, that scares the shit out of me. Being dead, that's like going to sleep and not waking up. That's not so scary. But being autistic, yeah. that really scares me. And so I, please, and don't I, take horoceding anymore. I hear, you know, I can, like, I don't know, I, you guys don't know me, but, like, after you, I mean, people who have known me before, like, I, I was got on a bunch of probation, I'll just talk about jail, and, like, um, I got arrested, like, seven times, all alcohol-related. Uh, I did a lot of drugs, but only got caught with alcohol, um, so I don't drink anymore. Well, Good. actually, I can't say that, because it's, like, yeah. Um, so the coruscating, yeah. So the coruscating plan, though, you swallowed eight of them. You wanted to swallow more. The police showed up, interrupted your operation, probably saved your life. Then what happened? Um, I just told them I took a bunch, and then they're like, "Did you do it to harm yourself?" Because that's the only way that they're gonna take me to the hospital. So I was like, "Yeah." So they took me to the hospital. I was there for seven days and got on some um, antidepressants and whatnot. Okay. But I don't really like taking them. It makes me paranoid and more anxious and. Okay. Um, you know, so, I don't know, I'm just trying to find, like, a balance, um, me and the parents are, like, we're a lot better than, like, a year ago, but we mm -hmm. still, like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I can say this, but, like, my use, honest, you can say it. Yeah, yeah, like, my use with marijuana, like, it's, for seven years, like, I feel like, um, I don't know, I don't, I know I need to get off everything, but I'm, like, I don't know, like, me and them argue a lot about that. There's okay. a lot of resistance mm -hmm. um, and arguments and whatnot. And um, I don't know. I've been off the opiates for, like, July 11th. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's been it's been a crazy two years. And we I'm should ask you a question. What would happen if your mom was to swallow a whole bunch of chorus seed and the police were to show up and she was to go to Havenwick? How would that make you feel? It'd freak me out. It'd be probably, like, a little traumatic. How like, traumatic? just and fuck with me for sure yeah and what if your yeah, dad was doing it too and all of a sudden you were the only responsible person in the house and everybody else was abusing drugs and not paying the bills That'd you ever be... think about that scenario no right but you need to think about that scenario see I deal with all kinds of families right and fucked up is on a scale right so some people will say I have a fucked up childhood now, so we'll, we'll do tell because I'm interested in hearing what your definition of fucked up is, right? And so we have some families that are massively fucked up, like fucked up on scales you can't even imagine. Like guy taking his daughter to prostitute her out at 10 years old fucked up, yeah, and not paying the bills and living in a cold house in the wintertime fucked up, not having any food, malnutrition fucked up, mm -hmm. right? And so you're in this household where what you're dealing with is a bunch of people that love and care about you but seem to really be harping on marijuana. And you can see why they would do that. Yeah. Right? And so if it was roles are reversed, I would hope that you'd be saying the same thing to them. For sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? the thing is, like, my selfishness comes into play. Right. Like, I'm very aware of, you know, I, I like to think I have a pretty open mind. I'm very aware of, like, the consequences and how much that can Well, most of the time, uh -huh. it's, like, the selfishness. And I don't know, it's just, like, I get too caught up. Why haven't you given your mom any chorus seed in the take? Okay. I'm serious. She would die. Why, we, why wouldn't you give it to her? Um, like she, I think, I thought about that and it like it scares me. But like, but why wouldn't you though? Just give me the answer to that question. You know the answer. I wouldn't want her body to get damaged. Right, and what else? That's also one of the reasons. What else? Why wouldn't you do that? Um, yeah. Because it's wrong, and you love her. Right. Right. That's how she feels about you taking it. Yeah. Yeah, and I put them through a lot last year. Yeah, like, so let's put them through less this year. You guys share, we're a little bit short on these, I apologize, so we have to kind of share, all right?
So Misha, tell me what, what it feels like to be off probation and have one year sober. How would that feel like for you? Incredible. Let's make that happen then. All right. Thanks, everybody, for sharing. 20. You're 20? How old were you when you started smoking pot? 13. The theory is the younger you begin smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol consistently, the higher the odds are of you becoming an alcoholic or an addict. Yeah, I didn't even drink, like... Over five years, 13 to 18, I like barely drank, and then when I turned 18, it became a daily thing. Yeah. And it's just makes me really hard. Yeah, it's just a mess. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being honest. I humbly suggest this. Before you take any drink or any drug, I want you to think about your family first and about Misha second. Also, when you're thinking about using your intellect over your emotion, I'm not asking you to be sober the rest of your life, Misha, but at least leave it alone until you're 21 and figure shit out then, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a humble suggestion. All right, some crazy guy wrote this story. It's really weird to me. I don't want to take credit for this, but if you like it, I did write it. If you don't like it, I didn't write it. Who wants to read the first page? Fortune favors the bold. Thank you, Daniel. Addicted or just bad luck? An American Indian boy spent his entire childhood growing up on a dry reservation. Thomas never saw alcohol until the age of 18 when he joined the Army. After completing basic training, he decides to celebrate his first day of leave with a bunch of his new army buddies. These guys insist that the best way to celebrate is by going to the local bar. Mm -hmm. Well, into the bar they go with smiles and cash. Thomas orders his first drink, a shot, and swells it down just like the rest of the boys. Almost instantly, something begins to happen. Okay. A slow, warm <coughs> glow and happy sensation slowly moves from his stomach to his head. Oh, boy. He yells out, I love this stuff. Hmm. Thomas was determined to generate more of this wild new feeling and proceeded to finish off six more. Why wouldn't he? After being filled with all this liquid courage, he realizes not only does the bar have alcohol, but some lovely women as well. Of course. In fact, these women look better now than they did when he entered the bar. And vice versa for the ladies. Yes. All right, right, we're being honest about this. <laughs> This was the opportune time to show these ladies what a real man can do on the dance floor. Hmm. Now he needed a sexy dance partner. The problem was that the girl he selected was spoken for. Under the influence, he beats up the man, denying him the dance with the pretty lady. Hmm. Problem number one, he is arrested for assault and put on probation. Is probation fun, Misha? All right, good. So it's not fun. Please continue. After leaving jail and going to court, he receives his sentence. He is thrown out of the army. Wow. Thomas decides to pick up some work doing construction. With a completed first day under his belt, some of the co-workers ask him if he wants to go out and get a beer. Seeing this as a great way to make some new friends and kill some time, he decides to take them up on the offer. Once again, he loves the effects of the beer and drinks many more than he needs. Oh, boy. This time he realizes he must be clever. Thomas will not drink liquor or get into a fight. Right. Still, everything is not so simple. Driving back from the bar... I cover every angle. He is... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Driving back from the bar, he is weaving all over the road. Huh. Of course, the police pull him over. He accomplishes his first drunk driving ticket. Yeah, he goes in front of Judge Small, West Bloomfield. What does he get for time, by the way? <coughs> Can we keep going? Yeah, just for, just for the time, though. How much time did he get for that? Okay, he's arrested for driving under the influence and sent to jail for 30 days. Wow, we got what, Judge Small in West Bloomfield gives everybody at least 30 days on their first DUI, and that's not very nice, and they also have the highest recidivism rates. 
Stefan, take us over from there. After getting out of jail a second time, uh -huh. his girlfriend leaves him. Why would she do that, though? Why do these women always leave these guys when they're in jail? Isn't that heartless? How many times do you think he promised to stop doing this? Anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Please keep reading. <laughs> she warned him in, in his head enough. Okay. Alone and real depressed, Thomas goes to the local party store to get some food. Okay. While walking up to the counter, he notices the bottles of whiskey and vodka all lined up perfectly. Why are they always perfect and shiny like that? Not even a speck of dust on those bottles in the liquor store. You guys ever think about that? Okay, I think fast. about it. I never know about the dust. They must have dust. <coughs> they dust them. Right, yeah. Yeah. They all shine. Wow, Right. Please continue. The bottles look so shiny and pretty. Huh. He is in pain, and alcohol seems to take the pain away. Thomas gets his first solo bottle of whiskey and heads home. Okay. After liberating the contents from the bottle into his belly, he thinks about all about that girl who left him. Ah, now with some Nazareth in the background, Love Hurts. That's a good song to listen to when you're drinking, right? When you're breaking up with somebody, Nazareth, Love Hurts. Never, never heard that song before? Oh, it's a classic. Sadness is a drum, too. <laughs> now is a great time to apologize for it, for all the problems he caused and, and make okay. things right. So, side note, when is the best time to apologize to your loved girlfriend or your loved boyfriend? Is it when you're fully intoxicated? When all those words just seem to be coming together, right? I'm being sarcastic. Or, or is it when you're not intoxicated? I just want to know anybody's theory on that. Anybody have a theory? Tanya, what do you think is the best time to apologize to a loved one? Intoxicated or non-intoxicated? Tanya spoke. I have to agree with her. Please continue, Stefan. Oh, stop it. It's a false. It's, it's an illusion. And with honest intentions of smoothing things over and getting her back, he heads toward her house. Okay. Once in the house, she's angry and not interested in what he has to say. She's very unreasonable. Pushing his way through the front door, he gets into an argument with her and the new boyfriend. Oh, the new oh, boyfriend's hanging out there, acting all hard and shit. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh -huh. The new boyfriend has to act hard to impress the girl. Otherwise, she may deny him access to her vagina. Okay. And vaginas are lots of fun. All right, that's what you say. Thomas and the new boy get into a fight. Okay. Thomas grabs a knife from the counter and stabs the boyfriend dead. Here's what happens, Stefan. I was standing there, and the guy ran to the knife three times. So I can get a self-defense on that, right? What do you think? Can I beat the no. case? Wait, no. I was standing there. I kept saying, don't come towards me. And he went in there, knife, and I said, go away. He came back three times into my knife. What do you think? Am I going to beat the case? Anybody have a want to bet odds on beating the case or not beating the Depends case? Depends on what lawyer you have. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. Go ahead. All right, please continue. Problem number three. He's arrested for murder and sentenced to 20 years. Oh, that sucks. Jackson Prison, here we come. The young warrior drank only young, only on three occasions in his life. Yet, when he got to prison, the psychologist told him he should never drink again. Oh, my God. According to the prison site, Thomas was an alcoholic. Uh-huh. What do you think? Should right. Thomas ever drink again? What is the worst thing that could happen if Thomas never used alcohol for the rest of his life? Right. What we see in this story is a clear pattern of consequences becoming greater with each drunken occasion. Okay. The progression of his disease is undeniable. Obviously, most addict stories are not this short and simple. 
right. So thoughts on Thomas. Anybody have a philosophy? If they were Thomas's psychiatrist or psychologist, should this man drink or should he not drink again? Anybody have a belief on this man? Yes, Danielle. Yes, I don't think he should drink. But why? Maybe he was just unlucky three times. There's a possibility that the fourth time he drinks, everything just might go perfectly. I wouldn't think so. (laughs) How many times you got to drink to be an alcoholic? How many times as you think? How many times you got to use heroin to be a heroin addict? Remember, this addict is just a social term. It means whatever you want it to mean. Talk about, you know, the consequences being so immediate and so intense and the pattern getting worse and worse, it's pretty obvious that this man shouldn't drink alcohol because it doesn't bring out the best in him, right? And as another cautionary tale, if he was to drink alcohol in prison, the next time he gets drunk, he might say some dumb shit and get stabbed, right? So we talked about that. Is there anything left in the one more page in the back or something? Yeah. Want to bring us home on that? Yeah. Denial. <laughs> if you know an addict, then you know this. Addicts and alcoholics cannot get high successfully. Don't try. In fact, they try real hard. Absolutely, they do. No lack of no lack of effort there. No matter what the combination of dose or dosage used, they become miserable. Further, they can't. They just can't seem to keep jobs, keep significant others, keep money, keep the family happy, or just keep playing old stuff. When they beg, borrow, buy, or steal stuff. They always find a way to lose it. Losing is not fun. Remember, this is America. People keep tabs on what you got. You better have a lot of stuff and look good if you want to impress people here. Just in West Bloomfield Township, if you're at one of those fundraisers, you better have a lot of stuff. Addicts are not bad people trying to get better. They're sick, pe- they're sick people trying to get well. All right. So any comments or questions about this handout? Is it making sense? So you can be an act whenever you want to be. You can say it at this point. You can say, I've had enough. I think I'm an act, and when I use, I have a bad reaction to drugs or alcohol. You can also stop using because it's holding you back from reaching your full potential. You know, Look at it from a logical standpoint and be able to have the courage to try out life. You know, Intoxication is the vocation of the frightened and scared. People that are afraid of adult roles, adult responsibilities, adult relationships, adult feelings, and adult ways of viewing the world will hide themselves in intoxicants. It takes a great deal of courage to live life on life's terms, right? Deal with the shitty day, deal with the power going out, deal with the flat tire, deal with somebody cutting you off, and still not get high to make that feeling go away. That's remarkable. So everybody in this room that hasn't gotten high for 24 hours, you're a miracle. And if I'm in a room full of miracles, I can't feel anything but spiritual. There's a thousand other people that should be in here talking about these issues and trying to better themselves, but for lack of a better word, they don't have the courage to do this. Everybody in this room today has the courage of a lion. That's a good place to be. Any comments or questions? Say right. that phrase again, that Buddhist phrase. Intoxication is the vocation of the frightened and scared. It came from a wise okay. Buddhist. Yeah, that's another view on addiction. Doesn't make it as you know, it takes away the coolness and sexiness factor from it too, right? Because when you identify it like that. You know, people thought you had to be hard and tough to get high, but when you really start hanging with those people, you really begin to notice the fear. They really aren't courageous. You can do crazy shit when you're on drugs, but that doesn't mean you have true courage. True courage is exhibited in different ways, in actionable ways, in taking care of your family and doing the right thing and helping others. That's truly courageous. Doing some dumb shit and driving drunk and breaking windows, that's not courageous. Is that making sense? All right. Thanks for everybody for being here, and we'll have the same show uh, Tuesday at 7 o'clock next week.
You want these? No, it's all yours, man. Okay, so we're keeping this one. I just